together with your family, with your body. We're, we, Lord, we ask you to prepare our hearts to receive you. We ask you to prepare our hearts to receive Holy Spirit. I pray that you would just release powerful Holy Spirit on this place. I pray that you would level us up in our journey today. I pray that you would, add, you would help us move from the land of possibilities into the land of impossibilities today. I just ask, Lord God, that you release a move of Holy Spirit. In His name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, good morning. I see you're fired up, so I will take that. You guys can have a seat or stay standing. I, I'm really good either way. I'm going to stand if that's good with you guys. Oh, someone got me a stand. Okay, I'm gonna, it's for Anna. No, it's for Leonard. I'll lower it as low as it goes. Sorry, Leonard. Sorry, man. Yeah, we'll talk later. I wear my knee pads when I talk to Leonard in case he gets mad. All right. Sorry. That was. <laughs> sorry about that, Leonard. I'm sorry. Thanks for being fun. Man, I tell you what, last Sunday was Easter and we celebrated the resurrection of the Lord, man. And I want you to know that that was the end of one story, but it was the beginning of another story. Christianity does not end on Easter, it begins there. It's born again there. And that's what we want to talk about today. We want, I want to talk to you about Holy Spirit. And I'm probably going to make you really nervous. All right. Ms. Linda. <laughs> that's good. Thanks, Miss Linda. I promise you, I'll make the Baptists just as nervous as I make the Charismatics. I'll make everybody nervous. Today. I promise you that. I'm going to go all over the place. All right. Um, but we are going to be looking at Acts 1. And I need you to bear with me because I'm going to look at some larger sex, sections of Scripture uh, together so you can see what I'm talking about and what's caused this. And I can only share with you what I believe that the Lord has revealed to me. So that's what I'm going to share with you today. Um, here's what you have to know, though, just like I prayed. Jesus didn't save you to live in a land of dark possibilities. He saved you to live in a land of bright impossibilities. And that's what we have to understand is that Christians, if your faith is dry and you feel like you're disconnected from God, you're being lied to. And so I want to break that off today. I want to stagger into some things or stumble into or maybe just run into some things that set your faith free. Jesus talked about faith and he talked about the Christianity of being a new wine in a new wine skin. And he said that the old wine skin, the wine skin of Judaism, the wine skin of, of old covenant would not be able to contain the new wine that was the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to understand as a Christian, we live under what we call the new covenant. You have a Bible and it's, it's separated into testaments, we call them. But those are actually covenants, an old covenant and a new covenant. And I want you to know that in, as a Christian, you live under new covenant and the new covenant is stronger, mightier, more powerful than the old covenant. You cannot use the tools of the Old Testament to live in the power of the New Testament. That means that you can't use guilt, shame, human effort to live in what Jesus promised as a kingdom citizen. And that's how we need to see ourselves as Christians. This is not our religion. This is our citizenship. Yes, it is a relationship with God and a relationship with His Son, Jesus, and with His Spirit, Holy Spirit. But it is, it is more than, it is, all of that is included in a citizenship of a new kingdom that Jesus Christ brought to earth under a new covenant where he would he'd fix everything that was wrong with us and he would empower us. 
So the question now begins, it changes the way we focus. So much of our faith in life is how hard are you willing to work for it. Today we're talking about how much, what in your life is worth waiting for. What in your life is worth waiting? Do you remember a season in our world when the best things in life you waited for? That's not the American way today. We don't wait for anything. But if you want things, truly good things, you learn to wait. I like brisket. You like brisket? You ever tried to make one in a microwave? That's a terrible idea. I know places that that'll get you hung publicly. And I would be rooting for them. I'm just saying. All right? There are things in life that are worth waiting for, and it's the same in the kingdom. We have to learn to wait for some things. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 1, look at a few verses in Acts, some verses in Revelations, and then back into Acts. During the 40 days after Jesus suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. Look at this last sentence. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. This isn't about a church. It's about the ecclesia. You say, Michael, that's just Greek for church. No, we don't know what church means. We aff- affiliate and, and associate church with a building or a religious structure. That was not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking about an ecclesia that was an advanced, ki- uh, an advanced community of the kingdom of God that's taking over the world. Do you understand that? And so it makes sense that in the time between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, which we're about to get to, that he would teach the ecclesia how to represent, he would teach the early Christians how to represent the kingdom that they were now from. Okay? You with me? Give me a nod. Even if it's glazed, I'll take it. All right? I don't know. All right. It's okay. Dude, I, anybody else having a great time with allergies this year? I am having so much fun. Everywhere I go, I feel like I'm in a bucket. And everything I say echoes back at me. It's wonderful. Just praise the Lord for this opportunity. Uh, Anyway, Acts 1 verse 4. Once when Jesus was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, there's the promise. God's, now, here's what Jesus says. He says, hey, guys, we're, you guys are the ecclesia. You are the, the forefront of the kingdom of God. You are the community that represents the kingdom that's coming. Don't leave without your weapons. Think about this for a second. If you got drafted or you volunteered to go into the military to go fight a war, and you were so pumped up, you just ran out of the MEPS office and charged into battle, you would just die. That's all what happened. Because you would go without any training or weapons. And what's Jesus saying? He says, don't leave without your weapons. Don't leave without your army. Don't leave without your artillery. You wait until you get what you need to do the impossible. Does that make sense? That's the new covenant. The new covenant is for the impossible. He's also saying to them, guys, you need me. He's saying, disciples, you need me, Jesus. You still need me, just like you needed me the last three and a half years that I trained you and we ministered together. You need me from this day forward. 
Okay, verse six. So when the apostles were with Jesus, see, we can so identify with the apostles because we are always asking the wrong questions, right? And, and, and here's why. Our world is so small. Man, you're talking to the son of God. He, he thinks, lives and breathes on an eternal framework. And, and, and so the disciples, he's been teaching about the kingdom, and they're trying to get it, but they're just as clueless as we are. And so in verse 6, Jesus says, hey, wait for power, and then you're going to be witnesses. And here's, I mean, wait for the power, wait for the gift. So the disciples, they kept asking him. So this was a repeat question, like your kid in the back seat. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? <laughs> This is what's going on. They're like, are we there yet? And here's the question they're asking. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They're thinking too small. Jesus isn't talking about a kingdom that's limited to Israel. He's talking about the kingdom of God that's growing out of Israel. Does that make sense? And so they're asking him this, and here's his answer. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. Stop worrying about stuff that's above your pay grade. That's what he said, okay? <laughs> the Father's got this one. Here's what you need to know. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. Telling people everywhere, about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Let me pause there for a second. You're going to have power, so I want you guys to wait here. Stop worrying about stuff that's above your pay grade. You wait here. Holy Spirit's going to come. You're going to receive power. And when you get the gift, when you receive power, go! Go, run, get this thing done. You take the power, every dark corner, stomp every demon, break every disease. You get out there and you get busy, all right? You get busy once you have power. And after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching him. Can you just see this conversation? Jesus said, you're going to receive power. And the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. <laughs> He's lifting up in the clouds until they can no longer see him. I'm going to tell you what. Jesus' disciples are saved. They're wonderful. They're kings and queens. But they're not the brightest bulbs on the shelf. <laughs> they're not. Michael, that's harsh to say. Jesus is rising up into the clouds in verse 9, uh, verse 10 says, and they strained, they strained to see him rising into heaven. Where'd he go? <laughs> and suddenly there are two men, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. And here's what they said. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here like a bunch of bumps on a log? I mean, staring into heaven. Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he'll return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Stop straining for a last glimpse and start waiting for the first glimpse. The way he left, that's how he's coming back. That kingdom you're so concerned about is coming. Jesus is coming 
back. So this is the setup for Acts 2. So we see now that things have changed. Jesus has changed the old covenant into a new covenant. The old ways into new ways. Ways of human effort, guilt, and shame into ways of power, life, and strength. So the disciples are in this in-between. They don't have power. They've been told to wait. But they've been trained by Jesus, so they know how to wait. And here's how they wait in verse 14. They all met together. I said this a few weeks ago. Christianity has always been a community. It has always been and will always be a community. And so they met together and were constantly united in prayer. Jesus didn't tell them to pray. He said, wait here until the power comes from heaven, until the gift shows up from God. But they knew to pray. Why did they know to pray? Because God taught them to pray. Jesus taught them to pray. And so they gathered together Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus during this time when about 120 believers were together in one place. So if we're going to learn to pray, if we're going to learn to wait, if we're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, let's begin where they began. Let's begin with prayer. And here's my, here's, here's my case study, or my belief. I believe you pray all the time. I'm just not sure who we're praying to. And sometimes I think we ask God to obey our idols. Ouch, I know, but sometimes I think we do. And so today we think about this reality that the early disciples gathered together and prayed. Prayer is about knowing that you need a God. Lack of prayer is the false belief that you are a God. Does that make sense? And so when these Christians came to pray, they realized they needed a God And they realized that the God that they follow, I mean, they follow Jesus and he just raised from the dead. So I don't know who your God is. I hope it's the one of the scriptures of the Bible. We do invent a lot of our own gods. And sometimes we like to make God look how we want him to look. But I hope you have a God who's able. I hope you have the God of the Bible who's able to answer prayer, who's able to rise from the dead, who's able to live again. Because that God, when you pray to that God, then it's not a matter of whether or not God will answer you. It's just a matter of knocking and asking and pounding on the door until you get the answer. It's a matter of asking and receiving. And so we begin with this idea of prayer. And we ask ourselves, if we struggle with prayer, how can that be? How can people who have a God struggle with prayer? Now, we're going to talk a few weeks about the difference between struggling, struggling with prayer and struggling in prayer. But I'll tell you, I, I, think, I think I know why we struggle with prayer. I think it's because we believe a false gospel. Michael, it's so bold. When we believe that we're our answer, when we believe that it's really all on us, when we believe that we're actually our only solution, 
You see, that's a false gospel. I call it, and, and I, I don't know if this will ever become a thing. Maybe one day I'll make it a thing. I call it the false gospel of self-reliance. And in that gospel, Jesus saves you from your sins, but everything else is on you. And that's a, that's a lie. That's how the enemy keeps Christians from walking in power and in victory. That's why you're afraid to stick on the label, that label of more than a conqueror that you're promised in Romans chapter 8. Because the enemy's lied you into a place where you think Jesus died for your sins. But you getting right with God and doing anything in this world or anything good coming in your life is totally on you. That's a lie. And that's where prayer comes in because prayer moves our faith off of ourselves and into a God who is able. A God who's able to do the impossible. A God who's able to answer. A God that removes the effort off of us and places it on the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. So when I talk to you about prayer today, here's the conscious thought I have. How do I encourage you to have more prayer in your life without you making it all about your effort to pray? Because that's what happens, right? The preacher gives a message, we feel guilty, and then we go home and make a new law to try and live by. Isn't that what we do? We go home, okay, well, I need to pray more, so now I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray 10 minutes every morning before I go to work. It's the new law in my house. How's the law working for you? It's like as soon as I set a new law in my life, my flesh goes about to break it immediately. Like, I'm going I'm to stop eating pizza. I'm just, new law, no pizza in this house. Now I can't get enough pizza. Now I'm ordering pizza every time I pick up my phone. Domino's is wearing out the road to my house. Why? Because I set a new law. That's what the flesh does. That's what Romans 7 is all about. As soon as you establish a new law, your flesh goes set. Now your flesh must break that law. So how do I encourage you to pray without you setting a new law in your life? There's a song Elevation Worship is doing with, uh, what's with Brandon? Brandon Lake called Talking to Jesus. It's a good song. Maybe listen to that. It's very helpful. Maybe you just start talking to Jesus. You know, prayer is asking, but sometimes and often prayer is just talking. And it's listening and it's having a conversation and it's paying attention to what you're thinking and the images that are running through your mind and the feelings that you're feeling. And, and, and it's just concentrating and being in relationship and conversation with Jesus Christ. So why not, rather than set a new law, just start talking to Jesus. Instead of getting in the car and turning on that radio and listening to those idiots pour crap in your head. I hope you're not a radio broadcaster in this room. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I used to be one, so I get it. I was the one who invented the crap to pour into people's heads. Anyway, um... <laughs> Turn it off and, and, and tune in to your father and start talking to Jesus. And when you're worried and when you're scared, instead of magnifying and worshiping the fear, start talking to the one who overcome. Start talking to the one who your fear is afraid of. Does that make sense? Man, we learn to pray. It's going to change things. If we learn to wait in prayer, it's going to open us up to some things. Here's something else you could do I think is really important. Learn in this prayer time, learn to love, love, love the commands of Jesus. Learn to love the commands of Jesus. I'm going to give you two steps in this. The first, I just love you. To, I would love to ask you to start loving the, the, just the idea of Jesus' commands. We could start there. You don't have to do anything yet. 
Of course, I'm getting to the do part. But, I mean, just what if when you started learning to talk to Jesus, you just started thinking about the cool things that Jesus said, and you learned to love those things. Just learn to think, man, Jesus said, and think about the guy who said them. Read, read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and, and look at those things. And I know that when you read those, you're like, whoa, those sound really hard. They don't sound possible. They aren't. That's why you have to have a spirit to help you live in the land of the impossible. Does that make sense? Jesus knew that the level of law and the level of kingdom citizenship that he's called us to was beyond our human effort. He knew that. He knew we'd need something more powerful than our own wills to, to obey them. And so begin with just loving. Man, Jesus said, love your enemies. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, isn't that a beautiful idea? Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Isn't that beautiful? Because how many times a day do we get an opportunity to bless someone who curses us? That's what I love social media. That's what it's all about right there. <laughs> Teaching Christians how to bless those who curse them. Anyone ever won an argument on social media? Anyone? Anyone at all? Anyone? So here's how you do that. You post a comment and then you get off of social media. That's how you win. <laughs> Just stop. You're wrong. I'm out. Just delete my account. I'm done. <clears throat> there you go. You won. Jesus said to honor and respect others. Jesus said to avoid lust and greed and the desire for fame or approval. And if you think about the way Jesus instructed us to live as kingdom citizens in Matthew 5 through 8, if, if you think about it very long, you realize that's freedom. That's freedom. If I live like that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about what anyone thought about me. I wouldn't worry about what people said to me. I wouldn't be worried about uh, how, much, how many possessions I had or how well I dressed or how many numbers were in my bank account. I wouldn't have to worry about any of those things. I would be free. Start by just loving. You could talk to Jesus and talk to him about his commands and just begin to love his commands Waiting in prayer. And uh, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself because I do that on purpose sometimes. But prayer isn't just about thinking. Prayer is about movement too. Prayer is about movement, but prayer is about moving in the place that matters. Prayer is about moving in the place that matters. Everything, everything that happens in the natural world started in the supernatural realm. I believe that is true. I believe that's true because I've read the book of Daniel. I've read several of the Old Testament prophet books, and I've read the book of Revelation. And in those books, I can see that there is a supernatural reality that drives every natural reality. And so if I'm going to overcome the destructions and the attacks in my life, I've got to stop fighting on the wrong plane. I've got to start at the root. And that's what prayer does. Prayer gets below the surface it gets into a deeper place and it wins in the place that truly matters that's how you change the world you change the world with the power of heaven not with human effort now since i've said that let's plunge into what jesus said in john 6 63 so we wait in prayer the next thing we wait on is power that's what the disciples did in acts chapter one jesus said this in john 6 63 the spirit alone gives eternal life 
Human effort accomplishes nothing. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I'm sorry, my allergies are having fun right now. I'm allergic to someone right up here in the front row. <laughs> Just kidding. Who's close? Tucker, Christy. It might be my wife. Oh, yeah, I, I would, but I'm afraid if I blow my nose that horrible things will happen. And so, oh, the Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes, what's that word, church? I wish the church believed that. I wish Christendom believed that one line of Jesus. It's almost like Jesus is saying, listen, man, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are not safe to do anything. Human effort accomplishes nothing. The very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe. Here's what you have to know as a Christian today. And I don't know what stream you come from, what your background in faith was. But I will tell you this. The New Testament knows nothing of Christians who do not know that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a fact. One of the scariest things in Christendom today is that there's such a large segment of Jesus' church that have no idea if they have the Holy Spirit. That's terrifying. Because when you start reading the Bible, when you read the New Testament, there is no place for a Christianity without Holy Spirit. Jesus said to the disciples, wait, do not go out there and do anything. You wait until you have the Holy Spirit, because until you have the Holy Spirit, you don't have the power or the wisdom to do anything for the kingdom. Jesus says human effort accomplishes nothing. You have to have the Holy Spirit to actually accomplish something that's kingdom worthy. I'm not saying you can't accomplish human approval worthy. But whose approval do you actually care about? Is it, are you waiting one day for your boss, your friends, your peers to say, well, you did a good job, Michael. Come on in. Are you waiting for Jesus to say, well done? So if you're waiting for Jesus to say, well done, you better, I better pay attention to what Jesus said. Amen? Amen. This is important. This is critical. So we have to wrestle with and come to terms with and, and, and know that we have the Holy Spirit. And if this conversation about the Holy Spirit is making you uncomfortable, you have an enemy who is making it so. Don't worry about what I'm about to say. I promise you I will not intentionally harm you. All I can do is say words anyway with a southern accent and very cracky this morning. <sighs> All I need you to know before we move a step further is this. You desperately need Holy Spirit in your life. God's Spirit in you. This is the new covenant. A a religion without Holy Spirit is the old covenant. There's no salvation in the old covenant. There's no approval, there's no forgiveness, there's no mercy, not in the old covenant. And so, Jesus said, wait for power. And we need to know that power is non-negotiable. The Bible says this in Acts, how am I doing on time? Doesn't matter, just forget that's up there. 
we're going to finish today because I'm about to get it all stirred up and I want to get it all settled down before we go home. Acts 2.38. Now, if you grew up Pentecostal, Acts 2.38 is like their favorite passage. Was it an Acts and 238s? No, that's not right. That's a, that's a movie I saw once. Uh, Paul, Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins. Must repent of your sins. Repent means think higher. Change how you think. You've got to realize that your sins, your mistakes are sins. God's truth is what's right, not your truth. You have to repent. You have to repent in the level that I am not a God. I need a God. Okay? Repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So we have repentance into forgiveness. Then, 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 this is the promise. This is the reality. Peter's standing here. He's teaching and preaching under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And he's telling, he's setting a standard that will apply to every Christian that is applying in that moment. And he's basically just declaring the truth that now is because God sent the gift of the Holy Spirit upon the 12 disciples that morning. And he says to them, if you, if you repent and you're baptized and you, you are forgiven, then with forgiveness... Stop. Do you believe Jesus has forgiven your sins? Okay, that's good. Forgiven your sins. Now, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive it. Pause. See, I'm really just walking right to the scriptures today. How is it that a believer today cannot know they have the Holy Spirit? We'll come to that. We'll come to that. We're coming back to it. Don't panic yet. This promise is to you. If you had a mirror, I'd ask you to look at you. Look at the person next to you. It's for them. Promises for them. Do you believe that promise is for the guy sitting next to you or the girl sitting next to you? Do you believe that's true? Okay, what about this? It says it's for you. It's for your kids. It's for your kids. How many of you know there's no junior Holy Spirit? Like a short God walking around just for the kids. There's only one Holy Spirit. All right. This promise is for you. It's for your children. And those far away. How many of you know you live a long way from Jerusalem this morning? Those far away who have been called by the Lord our God. The New New Testament authors knew of no faith that did not have the Holy Spirit. They talked about Holy Spirit all the time. Holy Spirit fills all of their writings. The Holy Spirit is so essential to the Christian life. You, you need Him for everything. Like the meme that's been going around, man, I, I don't just need the Holy Spirit for worship. I need Him to go to Walmart. You need Holy Spirit. This is the deal. Man, I... I went to Walmart this week. Lord, help me. I, should, I do not have time for this, but I'm doing it anyway. I went to Walmart this week, and there's a guy that goes to this church that works at Walmart. And, uh, and he saw me coming, and he just heard me two weeks, three weeks ago now, talk about how much I hated going to Walmart. And he said, I got a bone to pick with you, Pastor. He said, I love it when you come to Walmart. And I thought he was being sarcastic, and he might have been. He might have been being sarcastic. 
He says, but you know, God uses you at Walmart when you go to Walmart. I won't say his name out loud, but I want to kind of, but I'm not going to. It was a good point, man. When me and Holy Spirit go to Walmart, when you and Holy Spirit go to Walmart, you can change Walmart into a place of worship. You can. So the idea of a believer, a Christian who doesn't know that they have the Holy Spirit is foreign to Scripture. So much so that like Paul met a group of those believers one time coming into Ephesus. These, These guys who believed... And, and they did not have the Holy Spirit. And he asked them about it, and they said, we don't even know. That's an answer that a lot of Christians would give to. We don't even know if there is a Holy Spirit. How can that be? But anyway, they didn't even know there's a Holy Spirit. And he said, well, let's fix that quick, fast, and in a hurry. Did you know Paul said it? Never mind. Okay, that's Michael. That's Michael. Sorry. And he, and, and he taught them about Jesus Christ and upgraded their faith from John the Baptist who was the greatest prophet of the old covenant into the founder of the new covenant Jesus Christ he leveled them up and when he did so they didn't know what to say so they actually spoke in tongues they just kind of blew it right up there okay now that's what scares you guys when I talk about Holy Spirit he said oh no he got to the T word we don't even know what that means but he got he I knew he was going to go there Calm down, calm down. It's all good. Everything is fine. Holy Spirit loves you. Father God loves you. Jesus loves you. And your pastor just likes to make you nervous. Here's here's what you need to know. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the line that's probably going to get me in trouble everywhere. Or in a few places. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not, is not, is not pursuit of an experience holy spirit taught me this this morning i was getting up and and uh, you know that what i've just told you i had been praying on thinking on for weeks but he told me this morning jesus said here's how it is michael now it, this wasn't a conversation across the bed it was a little mellower and calmer than that it was you know very chill but he's, he's, he says listen there's uh there's things that people know knowledge and, and paul remember paul said knowledge puffs up because we think we know something. And as soon as we think we know something, we get proud. That's the first step. Well, then after knowledge, there's experience. Experience puts you at a fork in the road. Experience is not an answer. Experience is not an answer. Experience is a choice. So you have knowledge that you should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then maybe you have an experience. In that experience, you have a choice to make. Do I choose pride? Or do I choose humility? You see, because when you have an experience, just because you had an experience doesn't mean you know anything yet. It doesn't mean you're interpreting this experience correctly. Because we're humans, like we're not the brightest bulbs in the barn, okay? And so we have an experience, and, we, and the postmodern culture is completely experiential in its belief system. It thinks that if I experience something, it must be true. That assumes that you have all knowledge, You have no idea how to interpret or to exegete, if you will, which means to to break down and understand. You have no idea how to exegete your experience in your flesh. And so you can have knowledge that becomes an experience, but you don't have enough yet. At the point of experience, you can choose pride and go, this is how it is. I I now know how it is. This is an absolute. What I have experienced is true for me and it's true for you. It's true for everybody. My experience is the truth. That is not so because I'm a corrupt in my flesh. 
So if I choose pride, then I'm going to make everyone conform to my experience. I have to choose humility. If I choose humility, which is, yes, I, God gave me this knowledge. I've had this experience, but I am human. I am weak. And I need Holy Spirit to teach me. If I choose the path of humility, welcome to the possibility of revelation. And that's what people need. Knowledge is not enough. Experience is not enough. Revelation. You have to have a revelation of God's truth in your inner person, your heart, your spirit. This is the path into the the spirit-filled life. Okay? Now, I said you can't just go out and pursue an experience. Well, here's why. On the day of Pentecost, you had the disciples, possibly the 120, who were manifesting this supernatural gift of the spirit of tongues. 3,000 people are saved that day. We have no record that they spoke in tongues. And so you have, um, you have Cornelius, where Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and he preaches in the gospel. And Cornelius is the doorway into the Gentile world that Paul's actually going to walk through. But Peter's the one who opens the door. Peter preaches to him. They break out in tongues. But you don't have the gift of tongues showing up for the 3,000. You don't have it showing up for the Ethiopian eunuch who Philip teaches to. There is, though, a consistent thread in these Holy Spirit-filled stories. But it's not tongues. It's obedience. It's obedience. Those 3,000 people, which I'm going to come to in just a minute, they, they, they moved in the Spirit. I'm going to come back to them. The disciples obeyed Jesus. They waited in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit fell. Obedience is a consistent thread. Ananias was told by the Holy Spirit to go and pray for Paul. He obeyed the Holy Spirit. Paul was told to wait By the way, we don't see a manifestation of Paul speaking in tongues. When Ananias prays for him, we see that the scales fell from his eyes. We know that Paul practiced the gift of tongues at some point because of 1 Corinthians 14, but we don't see it in that moment. But what we do see that is consistent is Ananias is sent by the Holy Spirit, and he says he obeys, and he goes. Paul is told by the Holy Spirit to wait. He obeys, and he waits. Philip is sent to the Ethiopian eunuch. He obeys the Holy Spirit and he goes. The the Ethiopian eunuch hears about salvation, hears about the gospel, and he immediately obeys by being baptized. Obedience, obedience, obedience. Uh, Cornelius obeyed Holy Spirit, obeyed the angel, said, go get Peter. Peter obeyed the angel. He went to Cornelius. Obedience over and over again. What am I trying to say? Well, rather than ask yourself whether or not you've had some amazing experience you should ask yourself do i believe jesus and i should ask myself how can i believe the believe jesus more how can i put myself in situations where i believe jesus more how can i put myself in places where jesus is my only hope what if the only problem with my 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 understanding of the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with God. What if it has everything to do with an expectation I have that didn't come from God? So, when you think about being filled with the Holy Spirit, I, the question I ask, and I ask for the series, is, okay, what does it look like? What does it really look like? Yeah, it's obedience, but how do I put a picture on obedience? I just gave you several analogies, but I, I tell you what, I love it. The older I get in the word, the, 
Some things get way more profound and some things get super simple. So I'm about to show you a text that if it had been a snake, it would have bit you. Okay? It's right there in Acts chapter 2. And it shows you exactly what it looks like. Let's walk through Acts chapter 2. The 12 disciples, I mean the 11, well 12 because Matthias is in there, possibly 120. They come out and they're teaching and preaching with the power of the Holy Spirit. Everyone's understanding their language. 3,000 people come to faith that day. And you know what? They're filled with the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Because of what Paul said, Peter said in Acts 2, 38 and 39. You repent, you're baptized in Jesus' name, and you'll have, you will receive the Holy Spirit. What happened then? This is our answer. Here's what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. I want you to see that in those early Christians, there was a deep, pervasive hunger for God. This is the first, I mean, Holy Spirit wants the Father. Holy Spirit wants the Son. Holy Spirit wants the entire Trinity manifest in every heart and every life. So this is the first evidence of the Holy Spirit. It's a hunger for God. They wanted more. They wanted to hear what the disciples had to say. They wanted to be together in community. And they wanted to feed off of each other and minister to each other. And they wanted that to magnify and fill their lives. This is the problem with a faith that, that, that calls itself Christian but has no hunger for God. That's not faith. Do you understand? There has to be a hunger for God. This is an evidence of Holy Spirit. Verse 43. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. Came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Notice how me became we. Notice how there's a hunger for God and there's, a, there's this hunger for that community. Notice how the apostles are moving in the miraculous. Wonderful things are happening all around them. And it is instilling that initial body of believers with awe. There's nobody standing out on the outside going, I don't know if that's real. I don't know about that. Somebody better get the news out here. Now listen, that is not how idiots sound, but that's how I make them sound. Okay? All right? You got to understand, that person on the outside judging everything that's happened on the inside is an outsider. Yeah, that's right. You understand that? That's an outsider. Listen, I don't have time to get into it today because I'm already stretching this thing too long. But in Galatians chapter 5, God lays out by the hand of Paul what it looks like when someone's operating in the flesh and what it looks like when someone's operating in the spirit. I'm going to tell you a lot of stuff that goes by the name of Christianity is operating in the flesh. 
It is out judging and criticizing and condemning everything that it can because it's not like the person speaking. That is not how this kingdom works. The kingdom is honor and respect. So whenever you encounter dishonor and disrespect, you're talking to an outsider. I don't care how famous they are or how many books they sold. Do you understand me? Michael, you sound dogmatic on this. Because I am. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. Oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, back to the message. That was Michael's soapbox. There's no loners here. It's we, not me. This is a manifestation the church needs today. That's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit that would change the church today. Deep hunger for God. Deep hunger for the community. And they worship together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. Why, why did we ever take Lord's Supper out of houses? I'm sorry, that's Michael ranting again. I'm sorry, back to the message. They meet in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Everything about them became worship, man. Dinner became worship. Meeting your friends down at the temple or down at the bazaar became worship. Hanging out with somebody became an act of worship. Everything became worship. Why? Because there's this deep, pervasive hunger of God. This deep, pervasive need for community. And now it's all worship. Everything is worship. That's Holy Spirit-filled life. Every other manifestation is awesome, but... A manifestation without worship is not one. Whew, okay, you're like, okay. I believe he went Pentecostal there for a minute. <laughs> because the gifts and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to tell you, I have, seen, I have seen phenomenal and I've seen subtle. I've seen people come unglued and I've seen people look like they got more glued, if that's a thing. Why? Paul said in Romans 12, it's a body. And you got body parts that are big mouths? A lot of those. I mean, if the church was really pictured, it'd probably just have a giant mouth. Anyway, uh, back, back to it. Some things, some things are the spine. And they hold it all together. Some things are tendon and tissue and muscles. Some things are the strength that no one sees. You see, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit that God gives you will likely be in line with His purpose for your gifting. And if I could, just one more thing. Oh, man, I, shut up, man. Oh, do it, do it. I'm sorry, I'm having an internal conflict. I'm going to tell you what, if Holy Spirit gifts somebody with a gift, encourage the gift, okay? I don't care if you don't think they deserve the gift. Oh, here's where I'm really going to get in trouble. I don't care if you don't think they're the right gender for the gift. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Holy Spirit knows more than you do. We should support that. Okay, is everyone okay now? Does anyone need a volume? All right, we're good. I don't know if we're good or not, but we're, we're going to keep rolling just the same. Because the gifts, in the, Holy, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for the individual. They're for the body. Now, the individual gets to enjoy being a channel of blessing, and I will never call that a question. 
But you've got to understand that the point of the gift is always for the body. This is why there are no lone rangers in the kingdom. It's why you've got to understand. Some of, you, some of you are gifted on that intuitive side, that more feeling. Some of you are get gifted on that intellectual side. We need all you guys. We've got to have each other. This is, I think, what Jesus meant. But I will say this. Those gifts are evangelistic overall in nature sure they build the body i'm not calling that at all but i'm gonna i want to jump over to some words that paul said but i'm trying not to get ahead of myself uh but i, I let me get ahead of myself so peter i keep saying paul because i talked about paul that last series so much um in acts 240 here's what peter said and this is this is what we have to remember and i'm gonna tell you this is important I upset a lot of people in my life over the belief I'm about to share with you, okay? Peter says this in Acts 2.40. He says, Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners. Do you see what's happening? Peter is, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and so he's hungry for God, and he's, he wants something from that crowd. He's pleading with that crowd. He is calling that crowd to make a decision for Jesus Christ. Because this is, that's the heart of Holy Spirit, guys. The Holy Spirit is the heart, is the Spirit of God the Father, who does not, it's not His will that any person should perish, according to the words of Peter. Okay? And so here He comes, He's strongly urging, He's pleading, you've got to make a decision about Jesus. You've got to choose Jesus. You need to repent and be baptized. I don't know how long he went on. And here's what he says, and this reveals heart of the Father that's being revealed by the Holy Spirit in Peter's lips. Save yourselves. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Do you understand that's what's at stake? Being saved. Being saved. Because Jesus taught a lot about this reality that he would one day return and the sheep would be separated from the goats. The good fish would be separated from the bad fish. There's this, this reality that God has made a way of escape through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And most people will not take the salvation. And what we've done, what the church has done through the evangelism era, is we have, we've, we've been lifeguards out. No, we've been life theologians in our boats. And, and there are people drowning out in the sea of the world. And we're rowing our little lifeboats out to them and go, listen, hey, listen, listen, hey, stop panicking. Listen. Don't you feel bad about the choices you made? Don't, don't you wish you'd spent more time learning how to swim? Don't you, you, know, you know how you beat the sea? With boats and life preservers. You know how you beat the sea is you don't go out and you don't try and convince people that they, that they need boats and life preservers or that they need to learn how to swim. You go out and you save them. Yes. That's what the Holy Spirit's about. The Holy Spirit's about saving people. You do understand that the church today spends 90 plus percent of its time dealing with people who are going to die and go to heaven and live in eternal bliss when the rest of the world hasn't even heard from somebody in the last 30 years that Jesus Christ died for their sins and will save them. This is critical. This is why we need Holy Spirit. The job is too big. The work is too vast. 
We need God's power. Because the citizens of the kingdom are all out there. Some of them are on one side of the cross and some of them are on the other. And the church needs the power of God to institute and apply the covenant, the new covenant, and live in the strength of a new kingdom. Do you understand? Do you understand? So what you need to know, what do I need to do with this message today, Michael? If you're walking through your Christian life going, I don't even know if there is a Holy Spirit, uh, we need to get that fixed today. Quick, fast, in a hurry. Yeah. Michael got real twangy there. I speak banjo. Get over it. (laughs) Say, how do I get that done today? Well, we can pray for you. You, here's, Here's the thing, guys. Fullness and baptism of the Holy Spirit is a revelation. It's not knowledge. It's not even experience. It's humility that leads you to a place where God can reveal a reality. I believe the reality is that this promise is for you and your neighbor and your kids and those far away. Because that's what God's word has to say about it. So that's the first thing you need to do. You need to settle this thing on the Holy Spirit. The church needs to get that business down today. Then we need to know why. Why? Because the world needs saved. They don't need reform. They don't need more information. They don't even need more money. They need saved. Do you understand the, the crisis, the crux? That's why when I'm given a decision between someone who's lost... Talking to someone who's lost and someone who's a believer. Guess which one I'm going to pick? I'm going to go talk to the lost person. Why? Worst thing that's going to happen to that believer is they're going to wake up and be looking at Jesus. I'm a little jealous about that. You say, I know you're like, I know. Michael, Christians need help too. I know, man. I know. That's why God put the Holy Spirit in us. (laughs) So he knew we would need counseling all the time. So he put the counselor in us to counsel us. Say, Michael, we don't even need you. I've been trying to tell you that for 10 years. You don't need me. You need the Holy Spirit. (sighs) Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Worship team. Uh, Church, just uh, believers, uh, however you feel affiliated or in their faith right now. First, I just want you to bow your heads. I'd just like you to take a deep breath. Deep breath. Ah. Man, the gift from the Father, it's for you. It's for your spouse next to you. It's for your kids. It's for those you don't know. Father, would you just release Holy Spirit on your church? Would you move any Christian who's in a place where they don't know to a place where they do? Would you take the information the sermon has provided Provided and turn it into experience and revelation. Will you, as you sit there breathing right now, just breathing, not knowing what to do with what you've heard, or maybe you do, would you just inhale the goodness of the Father, know that what the Father has for you is good. Realize that you need more than you have now. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know it, man. You're already bumping up against stuff in your marriage and finances and career and parenting. 
that you know you don't have the answers for, but you keep trying harder. And sooner or later, you got to quit trying harder. And you got to start waiting and praying and receiving God's Spirit to do what you cannot now do. Lord, release Holy Spirit. Heal marriages in this room. Why am I thinking of that? Father, Holy Spirit can help husbands and wives who can't connect anymore connect. He can stop the arguments about how kids should be raised and start a unity. I pray, Lord God, for that Christian, that believer who's known you for years and just feels like they, that they'll never be a conqueror. They'll never be a victor. I pray you to erase that lie and you give them the Holy Spirit in such a way right now that they know that their victory is in Jesus Christ and habitation of their lives, not their efforts. Not how hard they try, but how hard they, how, how much they rest in Jesus. I pray, God, that you would provide real answers through your spirit today. Marriages, sickness, weakness, failure, sin, whatever it is, I pray that you would show the way of escape, which is always Jesus, brought about by your spirit. I pray that no one would leave this place in doubt. I pray these things in Jesus' name. If you'd stand with me, I'm going to be over on your right. And if I get some of my prayer team to help me, uh, I'll be over there behind the prayer sign. Uh, we, let's worship, church. If you don't need prayer, I need you to worship with all your heart. And if we can pray for you, that's what we want to do.